right. Well, we are continuing, yes, in our journey through the Bible, but very specifically, we started a couple of weeks ago a, a little mini-series as we close out the year and we go through the letters to the church. And we're looking at, um, I don't have like a specific title for this series, but essentially it's about the church rediscovering the power that she's meant to have, rediscovering the power. And when we talk about power, it is not earthly power. It's not about being in control, being in charge, and everybody else lines up and does what we say. Jesus taught us what kingdom power looked like. And it's often the exact reverse of what we think of. And so we started a few weeks ago looking at the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus' death and sacrifice that brings us new life, and the need for the church itself to be open to real repentance. Like we need to be gospel people that are, that are always ready, always open to ways that the Lord might want to um, redeem us, rescue us from broken ways of living and thinking. But also, we're to be gospel people that are carriers of that gospel to a world in need. And so, do we reflect accurately the hope of Jesus to a world that needs it? And so, all the problems that we observe in society, it's great to fight for other solutions to those problems. But ultimately, the real hope of our country, the real hope of the people around us, is Jesus touching their lives and changing them. And so, the the church, we need to be carriers of the gospel. And the gospel needs to be at the core of all we do. Then, then last week, we looked at the power of love and that, that really becoming the people of love that God intends for us to be, that's our job as followers of Jesus. We were rescued out of an old way of living so we could step into a new way of living. It's the way of love. And so we're to learn and discover and enjoy the love of God And as we're around him and spending time with him, as we're absorbing who he is into our hearts and lives, we experience his love and then he begins to change us more and more into his image. And we become people who are sacrificial lovers. Not, what am I getting? How am I feeling? I'm a carrier of love to others. And that that is is the hope for the church internally. Like, we need more of that. We need more love for one another. We need more grace and all the things that follow love in our relationships with each other as a church. But friends, the church has got to become known as being the place where God's love is on display. Where somebody who is broken and hurting knows there's real love. I see it. And all too often we're substituting our culture's version of love instead of the biblical definition of love. And so we need to be anchored in how God defines So that's where we've been so far up to this point. Now, this morning, in a lot of ways, is really a continuation of those two thoughts, okay? The power of the gospel, the power of love. But specifically, we're going to talk this morning about the power of community. And so Jesus-centered community, being in real connected relationship with each other, it's meant to be rooted in the gospel, it's meant to be rooted in the love of God, and then and then permeate the way that we live as we live connected with each other. So we're going to talk today about the power of community. Let's pray. I want to encourage you as we do this, invite the Lord to speak to you through his word, invite the Holy Spirit to highlight anything in your own life that he might want to identify. Um, if nothing else this morning, 
I pray that we just get a little wind, you know, in our sails, a little encouragement to, to lean in and continue to be faithful in our relationships with, with our church family. Um, so maybe it'll just be kind of a strengthening and encouraging. But I also, also wanna just challenge you, be open to anything the Lord might wanna say. That might stretch us a little bit um, because there's always room to grow, all right? So let's pray and then we'll jump right into this. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our Father, that you are a good dad who loves us, um, that we are your kids. And Lord, the scripture says that, that it is good and pleasant when we dwell together in unity. God, that's your heart for us, is that we learn to live together, not to, not to isolate, not to get in our own little comfortable pockets and bubbles, but God, truly that, that your body, which is very diverse, very diverse, different backgrounds, different races, um, different cultures that we grew up in, even different denominations and experiences in our Christian faith, Lord, that your body is very diverse and yet you call us to be united. And so, Lord, would you help us more and more to learn from you how to love each other well and how to, how to lean in to the community that you have created for us, the home that you have made for us within your family. God, speak to us through your word. May it come alive in our hearts this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. All right, well, we're primarily in 2 Corinthians this morning. That's what we read last week. Um, we'll spend kind of the bulk of our time in 2 Corinthians chapters kind of five through seven, but I really wanna to talk to you big picture about all that Paul is writing to this church in this town called Corinth, all right? Because he's got a long relationship with them. There's multiple letters. There's the first letter that we focused on a week ago. Um, there's this letter now that comes later and there's interactions in between. Um, Paul's even sent some people to kind of represent him on his behalf as well along the way to kind of pour into this community that had so much good, so much good. The church at Corinth had this unity of Jewish folks who, who were living in that town who had come to Jesus. And they have their rich history of the Old Testament being their scripture. They knew it backward and forward. And so Jesus is their Messiah. But then we also have these, these Gentiles, these Romans living in this town who they've just lived in kind of just the normal pagan culture of the day. And they are now coming into this new community. And so we've got these, this blend of these very different backgrounds coming together. And this church seems to be experiencing a lot of God's power. Um, the letter to the Corinthians talks a lot about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so there, there's power in the church. There's impact happening in this church. And yet there is a consistent theme that is concerning Paul. And it is the brokenness within their relationships with each other. As much as they're a beautiful picture of this blending of different backgrounds, man, they are struggling with that reality being good. They're fractured in their thinking. They're frustrated with one another. They're isolating into different pockets. They're already neglecting Paul. Paul is the reason the gospel came to that city. They met Jesus through him, and now they're already picking and choosing other people that they'd rather listen to. And so what is happening is they're creating their own culture. 
They're drawing from their past backgrounds. The Jewish folks are being very legalistic and hard on the Gentile believers there. The Gentile believers are compromising like crazy because they've let the culture that Jesus was trying to call them out of and rescue them from, they're still letting its influence be heavy in their life and in the church. And so, so Paul sees this as a huge problem. So he's saying, listen, you're compromising with the culture, there's disunity in the church, and there's a lot of selfishness. And so I wanna, I wanna talk to you guys this morning for about five or 10 minutes, kind of what were the two key problems? What were the two key problems? And then I wanna talk to you about how Christ-centered community is the solution to those problems. It's, it's the antidote, anecdote to the problems. So here we go. Number one, cultural influence was a huge part of the problem. Cultural influence. They were, they were still absorbing from their old way of life. They were still absorbing from all the people living around them. Um, Paul called it out like this at the end of first Corinth, his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Anybody ever heard that before? Did you know that was Paul that wrote that there? Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Like Paul is being like in their face, hardcore, like guys, you need to wake up. You are, you are blind to how much you are allowing the culture around you to influence your life. You are so entangled and enmeshed with the world that there's no difference. Now, God never called us as believers to completely isolate from the world, but we're called to be in it, not of it. And that's a challenge. And so it's, it's very easy as we're living in our own, in just in Knoxville, in the United States of America, it's very easy for the culture around us to rub off on us more than we are rubbing off on them. And so Paul is calling us out, he's saying, you've got to be careful. Some of you have no knowledge of God at all. You're, you're literally not even recognizing how much you're missing this. N.T. Wright, in kind of talking about the, the culture in the Corinthian church, he puts it this way. Their puffed up posturing came from putting together their beliefs about themselves as Christians with ideas from pagan philosophy. See, it wasn't just that they were absorbing in the culture, they were feeling like we've got this figured out. I mean, they were starting to look down their noses at Paul, this faithful guy who had brought Christ to them. They started to feel like we've got this figured out. We don't, we don't need you anymore. We don't need your influence, your voice. We've got this. And they were drawing from the knowledge and intelligence of the day to make them feel like we know what it should look like to live in this world. And so one of the primary things they were doing is they were justifying unhealthy, broken behavior under the umbrella of the freedom we have in Christ. Now, friends, do we have freedom in Christ? Absolutely. But the scripture warns us not to use that freedom as an opportunity to simply gratify my own fleshly desires. And so they were taking their own view of the world and the cultural's view of how things work 
and, and intertwining it with their Christian faith and coming up with this hybrid that was broken and wrong. And the worst part about this is Paul's saying, you don't even recognize that you're doing it. You think you have this knowledge, you think you have this wisdom, and, and you don't. And friends, that leads us into the second problem, because these two go hand in hand. The issue wasn't just that they were compromising with the culture. The issue was their immaturity. Their immaturity. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 now, verses 1 through 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready. Do you hear what he's saying? You're still where you were when you first came to Christ. You're, you're more fleshly than spiritual. You're still feeding on basic milk. You have not progressed. You have not matured. Even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. What's one of the ways he identifies this? For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? See, the way Paul identifies immaturity, it, it wasn't about information. It was about their relational health. Are you walking in relational health? Are you preferring others above yourself? Are you unifying or dividing? And he looked at all of the problems they were having internally in all of their relationships, and he says, this exposes that you're no, no offense to the kids in the room, but this exposes that you're like a bunch of two-year-olds sitting around arguing. Your relationships are showing your immaturity. And so these are the two problems. This, this cultural influence that had seeped in and this immaturity. But see, here's the deal, guys. I, this is so important. I hope you catch this. The real problem, it's not just that they're immature. Jennifer McNeil put it like this. The Corinthians' problem is not just that they are immature in faith, but they have misunderstood their own level of maturity. I, I will tell you right now, I will take immature Christians all day long. As a, as a pastor, I am happy to have a church full of immature baby Christians who know that that's what they are and who are hungry for Jesus and hungry to grow. One of the, the parts of my life that I will never despise, I will always look to fondly is the years I spent in youth ministry. Man, I, I love the just like, what you see is what you get. With those middle school kids I spent years with, with those high school kids. Listen, guys, the, the issue is not whether we're immature or not. The issue is, are we able to properly evaluate where we are in our walk with Jesus? Have I determined and placed myself in a category of maturity but my life would indicate otherwise? Now, I don't mean this as an accusation at any one person or as our church as a whole. I'm just saying it is very easy to slip into a sense of self-deception where when, when we hear sermons or we read Bible passages and they're addressing issues of compromise or they're addressing issues of spiritual immaturity to immediately our mind goes to some other people that we know. My mind drifts to like maybe this person or that person or this situation. But 
Paul is writing these letters so strongly and so boldly to wake them up to say, guys, look in the mirror. You're the ones that are compromising. You don't even see it. You don't even realize how much the culture has permeated your mind, your heart, your focus in life. And you guys don't even recognize you think you're more mature than you are. Guys, in, in, our, in our faith walk with Jesus, we've got to realize that maturity does not automatically come with time. I want to say that again. Our maturity does not automatically come with time. It doesn't. It is, it is an intentional desire and focus to grow. When I'm a baby Christian, it's okay to be a baby Christian. In fact, the worst thing I could do is try to shove steak down like a little six-month-old's mouth. Like, that's not only not gonna help them, that's gonna harm them. Okay, so, so when I am at that place in life, it's okay to be there. What do I need? Regular feeding on the simplicity of the gospel. Man, I need milk. I just, I need to get it in me who Jesus is. I need to get it in me that he loves me and he's gracious towards me and he's merciful. Like, I just need to get it in me that he's my savior and I can just hold on to him. And I need to be willing to let other people who are more mature begin to feed me and help me grow. So it's okay to be there while I'm there. But there is nothing worse than, than walking through a grocery store and seeing a 12-year-old that's still acting like a two-year-old. Like the cute two-year-old tantrum, like I see that in the grocery store and I kind of smile and I'm grateful I'm not there anymore. <laughs> but I smile and it's cute. And like, but it's not cute when it's a 12-year-old thrashing around like that. And so, so we are meant to grow and to mature in our faith. And so if we would recognize that the truth is I'm meant to be rooted in a place where I, I come as I am with the level of maturity that I have and I'm intending to follow Jesus and to grow. And his plan for growth for us is to root us in his family. Because in the context of a family, we have every generation. We got grandmas and grandpas, and we got little babies and toddlers, and we got everybody in between, and we're all meant to learn from each other. And for, for some of us grandparents in the faith, man, we have a lot to offer. It's just been a while since we held a newborn. And maybe it's just time we got around some more newborns and had some love and grace and patience with them, and we might be surprised how much joy it brings to our life. How many of you moms that no longer have small babies, how many of you enjoy it when you get a moment to hold a little newborn? I mean, isn't that just the best? Do you do what I do? Do you go straight to the hair and just kind of just, just breathe in that like newborn baby smell? It's just the best. I don't know if that's like a certain shampoo everybody's using or there's probably some technical reason, but there's just such, that smell is just the best, that brand new newborn smell. Guys, we actually miss out by disengaging from each other. See, see, part of what makes us immature is we just don't have patience for each other. And so the grandparents can be just as immature as the babies because we just want nothing to do with each other. Like, I can't put up with it. It's too frustrating. I don't understand where you're at. And so we just, we isolate. And instead, the church would so benefit if we'd lean into each other and find each other. And so some of us that are a little further along, we'd find some renewed energy and joy by coming alongside and just loving on some baby Christians, hanging out with some toddlers that are learning to walk, you know? 
For others of us, man, maybe we got to those teenage years, but we never moved into that part of being a parent where I sacrifice. That I understand that real love is laying my life down for somebody else. So I reached a certain level of maturity in my faith. I know a lot of stuff. I'm independent. I'm out on my own. But the way my life actually looks in the church is that I'm just kind of doing my own thing. And I haven't taken that next step of maturity to realize the next way I'm going to grow in my relationship with Jesus is to start giving of myself for the benefit of others. I'm not going to stay a teenager anymore. I'm going to become a spiritual parent. And being a parent is good and rich and life-giving. And it is exhausting and frustrating and difficult. Any amens there, parents? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you, bro. <laughs> it's tiring. But it's worth it. But to enjoy the benefits of being a parent, you got to put up with the sacrifices of being a parent. Is this making sense to you guys? Listen, I realize I'm just kind of talking from my heart here, but guys, this is rooted in the Scripture. I mean, you see throughout the New Testament, and I, I challenge you both in the reading we've already done as we go forward, watch for how often Paul and others are using the terminology of human development. And they're, they're talking to, to babies in the faith, children in the faith, parents in the faith, they're, they're addressing young adults in the faith. That's, it's like it's time to step up and lead. And so all of this fits in. And so here, here's what I want to move into now. I want to talk about the solution, all right? So cultural influence in the church and immaturity in the church, I believe, are ripping off the American church. I believe they're ripping it off. And I believe we need to make a conscious effort to recognize as the church, whether we like to admit it or not, all too often the culture is telling us how to think and live and what to prioritize than Jesus. And all too often we are isolating from each other and, and living these disconnected, non-unified Christian lives in our own little bubble that we create instead of actually participating actively in being members of the body of Christ, realizing that I am an essential part of the family. And so the solution is we step into that. So I want to just give you a couple of foundational things to think about when it comes to being rooted in Christian community, all right? So I would encourage you on your own, you can read more of this uh, through, through 2 Corinthians chapters 5, 6, and 7. I just want to pull out some things from here. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, remember I told you this community stuff was gonna be rooted in the things we've already covered? This is about the gospel. What Jesus is up to in our own lives and therefore in his church, it's about making us brand new. Making us brand new. So if I'm going to come out of an old way of living, an old way of thinking, I've got to firmly plant myself in the new. I need to purpose to be in that place where God wants to make me new, and then I need to start participating with what he's up to. He is a God of reconciliation, and now he's calling us to be ministers of reconciliation. Well, what does that mean? At the very least, it means there needs to be reconciliation. If there didn't need to be reconnection in relationships, 
If there didn't need to be repairs in how we operate with one another, he wouldn't need ministers of reconciliation. But he does. Friends, when we come to Jesus, we still come as we are. I I do think there are times where the church gets labeled as being hypocrites when really we're just like these broken people that we were all along that Jesus loves and accepts and brings into his family and now we're trying to figure it out together. And you know what? That's gonna be difficult. I think a lot of what rips us off from Christian community is unrealistic expectations. As someone who tried to base youth ministry for years on this, as someone who came here to Knoxville to plant a church, our entire heart was to come here and plant a church that had a relational focus. And I've been talking to people in this area for five years about that. And you know what's amazing? I I haven't met anybody yet that said, man, that just sounds like a terrible idea. That sounds awful. Why would I ever wanna be a part of that? I've never met that person. I meet people that are enthusiastic about it. Man, a relational church, people know each other and love each other. That sounds great. I've known plenty of people that think it's a great idea. I've known very few people over the course of my life that actually purpose to live in relational community, embracing the inherent difficulty that's involved. But we miss out on something wonderful because of the challenges that are present. The ministry of reconciliation is difficult. Guys, we live in a world of people who do not know the God who made them. I don't even think we let that sink in enough. Someone with infinite knowledge and a loving, involved touch created every person we meet on this planet. He made us uniquely, beautifully, in our own special way. There's things we share in common but we're all different. And he did that on purpose. He wanted us to be different because all of us reflect different aspects of who he is. And now all these people who do not know the God who made them are missing out on who they were made to be. And we get, when we meet Jesus, we get to get back in touch with the one who made us, who put his fingerprint on us. And we get to suddenly know him and learn from him. And guys, it is like being a baby. We learn a whole new way of living. And it's hard to figure out how to walk around in that world. But we get to spend time with him. And we get to grow closer to him. And we get to discover how great he is. And then he says, okay, cool. This whole world needs it. And so you guys need it. All my kids that have met me now, you, you need this. And so you can help each other with this. Well, guess what? That's messy. It's clunky, it's difficult, but there's so much joy involved if we will give ourselves to this way of living. To say, God, you pulled me out of a broken way of living. This world doesn't have it. You have it. And your plan is to put me around with other messy people and we're gonna learn from each other and love each other and have grace for one another. We're gonna learn how to follow Jesus together. At times we're gonna challenge each other and at times we're gonna support and encourage each other even maybe when we disagree but we're gonna learn to live together. And he's saying, this is the environment I have for you and it's good. And you get to participate with me. And when you see little connections get made, 
One of the joys of my walk with Jesus is the friendships I have that I have no business having those friendships. Like, we have nothing in common. We don't share similar hobbies or interests. The only thing we have in common is Jesus. I'm friends with a man who grew up in India. We have, like, nothing culturally in common at all. But man, Vicus is my buddy, and the only reason I know him is because of Jesus Christ. And whatever difficulties we might have at time because of two very different cultures we grew up in, we get to find each other in Jesus and our lives. I hope his life is enriched. My life is enriched by knowing him. I, I don't have that apart from Jesus. Guys, there's incredible things that come from reconciliation. And then, man, I know this because I've been married a long time now. I didn't want to embarrass my wife, Amy, but it is her birthday today. So I just do want to stop and say that. Love you, babe. She's still in her 30s. I have moved into different territory now this year. But she's still in her 30s. Love my wife. But over, over the years of our marriage, here's what I've discovered. Our challenges, our difficulties, the times we fought, they're miserable. I don't like it. I, I wish we didn't have any of those. But I can also say that thanks be to God's grace and mercy and his forgiveness in my heart and in her heart, as we have navigated life and we've made it through those difficulties, our love has deepened. Our connection has deepened. We can look at things and go, man, we made it through that. And I've, I've, I've got a partner in life that it's like, because Jesus is at the center of that relationship, we can be all right. And that's just one example of that. I have friendships like that. Some of the richest friendships I've had have navigated times where we've been really upset with each other. And it would be easy to give up and walk away. And sadly, at times, relationships do fracture. But if we would learn that those difficulties are worth fighting through, that practicing the gospel, like ministers of reconciliation, you know what that means? It's real complicated. Repent when you screw up and forgive when somebody else does. We can purpose to live like that. And God's saying this is good for us and it will mature us and it will grow us. All right, let me keep moving here. I'm moving into chapter six now, verses uh, one, and then I'm gonna skip down and read 11, and 14, 11 through 14. Working together with him. So Paul is building off of this concept that we are ministers of reconciliation, okay? You with me? We are working together with God in this work of reconciliation that he's doing. The more he can see people united with him and each other, the more thrilled he is. That's what God is up to in the world. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And then he unpacks that. I'm gonna skip down to verse 11. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our hearts are wide open. You are not restricted by us but you are restricted in your own affections. What's ripping them off? Their own affections. They're focused on other things and it's ripping them off. In return, I speak to you as to children. Widen your hearts also. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness. 
as the question that we all face is what culture is defining my life? And Paul is saying, if I will join God in the ministry of reconciliation and align my life with that, that's a life that's lived not in vain. But instead, when I allow my life to be driven by affections apart from him, which are going to rub off on me when I'm spending a lot of time with the world and culture around me and just absorbing that. It's feeding those old ways of thinking, those old fleshly affections. It feeds it. And so then I miss out. He's saying, we're not burdening you by calling you to live life this way. You are burdening yourself by missing out. You're burdening yourself by pursuing these other affections that are ripping you off. And so he's saying, listen, are you truly rooted in Christian community or not? Back to N.T. Wright. He did this great reflection on, on both of these letters. And he was saying, you know, one of the big picture things to kind of draw from what Paul is saying here is this. I want you to hear this. It's a little bit lengthy, five or six sentences here. It says, Christians often simply reflect the values and behaviors in their surrounding culture. More often than not, Christianity simply becomes an add-on to their existing worldview. I already grew up thinking this, living like this. Christianity just sort of cleaned off my rough edges. I got a little nicer, maybe. There's a couple vices I gave up. Christianity is not an add-on. It's a complete reboot. We're new creations in Christ. He goes on. The Western world is even worse, often assuming that its culture is in some sense Christian and hence needing no critique when many aspects of Western culture are every bit as pagan as that of Corinth. I think there are lots of reasons to be grateful that we live in the country that we live in that gives us incredible freedoms to worship as, as we please. And I, I believe that there are many people in the history of our nation who loved God and got to have an impact on the founding of our nation. But I think that we have allowed far too much Americanism to infiltrate our view of things in this world that simply are not biblical. And we get caught up in pursuing things, not just like, hey, this is, this is an okay thing for me to do sometimes. I'm saying like our aims are off. Like affection is about like what holds your attention? What are you after? What are you pursuing in this life? And so Paul is warning the church at Corinth and now N.T. Wright is just kind of looking back at history and going, this lesson Paul was trying to teach them, man, it affects all of us. It applies to us right here today. Where has our culture intertwined with our faith to give us a false representation of who we're supposed to be? And the solution is what Paul offers. Paul's repeated theme of imitation, quoting N.T. Wright again, his theological and pastoral exhortations are aimed at creating a different culture, one characterized by the cross, it's the gospel, by grace, by love, and by reconciliation. That is our task too. We are called to learn a whole new cultural way of living. 
And, and that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus, and it's rooted in giving ourselves to a community that's different. That's different. The question is, are we going to lean in and do that? I'm going to skip the next verse. I feel like I've already made enough of that point. So we're called to maturity. God wants us rooted in his family. The imagery that Paul communicated regularly was this idea of imitation, right? Follow me as I follow Christ. He sent Timothy, Titus, guys like that into places like Corinth. These guys learn from me, you learn from them. Be rooted in community so that you guys learn how to imitate each other and create this new community based in Jesus. Work it out together. This is the picture. So here's, here's what I wanna leave you guys with, all right? Now listen, none of this is meant to be like accusational or anything. I just, instead of like having like a third point to kind of summarize things and put an exclamation point on it, the points have been made. We're made for Christian community. It's to be rooted in the gospel and in love. We pull back from it because it's challenging. We pull back from it because it requires something of us. It requires sacrifice to say, my life is gonna be rooted in this. I'm giving myself to this. So what I wanna do in closing, if you've got a, a paper and a pen, get it out. If you've got a phone that you take notes in, do that for a minute. If you don't wanna do either of those things right now, my notes will be online, <laughs> probably around Tuesday. But I actually just wanna leave with like four, about four questions for reflection. And we've, we've got five, five minutes or so here. If, if you wanna sit with these before we walk out, you can. Um, if you wanna find some time on your own today, this week, I would just encourage you to do this, all right? Number one, as it relates to culture, when you think about this question, does your Christian faith ever contradict or correct your behavior, your views, your politics, or your priorities? If, if you can't think of times when your Christian faith has, has made it clear to you that, that your behavior's off, the way you're viewing a situation, treating someone, if, if, if your faith never contradicts your views, that might be a good indicator that you're being more influenced by the culture around you than by the word of God. The word of God will correct all of us somewhere. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the gospel. Does our faith contradict or correct our behavior, our views, our politics, our priorities, you could probably think of a few other words to plug in there. Okay, secondly, one way to discover how much cultural idols are shaping you, all right? It's a way to, to figure out, are there cultural idols that are holding my affections, that drive me, that, that consume my time and my thoughts? I want you to think about it like this. What keeps you from engaging your life in church community? What keeps you from that? Now, this is not meant to be my, like, you should be volunteering more. You should never, ever miss a Sunday morning. Like, you better be in a life group. But I will just say, the ways that you can intentionally invest your life in Christian community by intentionally being with the church of God, 
by intentionally spending time with the people of God, with the focus on spending time with Jesus, contributing to the body with time, with finances, whatever. When you think about the obstacles that would keep you from really engaging in Christian community, serving, giving, participating, what are those things that get in the way? That might, be, that might help guide you towards where a cultural idol may have gotten in. My wife and I have spent a lot of time, not only recently during COVID, but just even in the past few years, like recognizing that America's demand for time, like how we view time, that we're always on the go, we're always busy, there's never a stop, that there's, there's some root idols behind that that are ripping us off from having the time to slow down and really be with God and really intentionally be present with people. And it's hurting our souls because we are stirred up all the time that we're never settled in at peace. So it's, it's hurting us too. But it's harming, it's harming the church and all that. So I'm giving you an example in my life is what I'm trying to say. How I have treated and viewed time has revealed idols in my life. Think about that. All right, two more. Y'all with me? Okay. When you think of your church community, that can be this right here or whatever. I, I realize many of us have, like church community is broader than Grace Chapel, all right? But if, if you think about church community and the relationships that come to mind, what are the relationships I have in church community? When those relationships come to mind, are you typically more focused on what you're getting out of those relationships or what you're putting into them? really good indicator. When people at church come to mind, do I think about what I'm getting or not getting from them? Or when, when people in my church community come to mind, is it because I'm thinking about how I'm investing something in them? What am I contributing into their life? All right, last one. This, this one's a biggie. What if, what if the health of your church relied upon your current effort, involvement, and care for others? What if the condition of the health of the church community you're in, what if it relied upon your effort, involvement, and your care for others? So in other words, if we all came to the table with, with, with my level of involvement, your level of involvement, what would it look like? I'm admitting some of these are pretty direct, hard questions, all right? None of this is meant to be an accusation. I'm not preaching this because I'm like, man, Grace Chapel, y'all have really screwed up and we need to get our act together. I'm just saying, I live in America. I've been in the Bible Belt my whole adult life and I am consciously aware of my own struggles and ways that this culture has permeated my life and I still walk in immaturity. How often, even as a pastor, I still view relationships through the lens of how is this impacting me? And getting way too easily insecure or hurt. And so I, I just know the world I live in. And so guys, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity more and more as followers of Jesus to experience what he has for us. A community rooted 
in the gospel of Jesus and rooted in sacrificial love. And it helps us become and discover who God made us to be. We need it personally. Our, ch our church bodies that we are in need that. And this broken world that is so in our face, that is so in need, man, what kind of hope would be extended to the world if more and more, when they looked around at the church, they saw people who loved each other so well, they figured out how to work out their problems. They figured out how to lean in and be there for each other, support each other, lift each other up, build each other up. And people went, man, I'd like to be a part of that. So when somebody heard relational church, it just didn't sound like a cool idea. They saw it on display. There's people who love Jesus and love each other. I'm going to leave you with this and pray. Paul closed his letter with these words. This is 2 Corinthians 13, verses 11 through 14. Finally, brothers, rejoice. I feel like sometimes I'm preaching messages like this, it just sounds like bad news. <laughs> Oh no, what are we getting wrong? What do we need to do? Listen, rejoice. The truth comes and it brings joy because it sets us free and gets us on track. And so he wraps this up by saying, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you all. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Or wear a mask in a distance, high five right now. All the saints greet you. Thank you, Crystal. Somebody laughed. I feel like people don't know sometimes when I'm joking. Like, my sarcastic humor hasn't totally landed yet. It's a joke, people. All right. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen, somebody? Amen. Jesus that's our prayer. May we aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace. May we be rooted in your grace and in your love. May it be the fellowship of your spirit in our midst that makes any of this possible. May we be Jesus people who are, commuted, who are, who are committed to Jesus' community. Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray this morning. Amen.